Welcome to the podcast novel, Outcast. Outcast is a podcast-only novel written and read by Chris Fitzgerald. Check out the show's website at outcastnovel.podshow.com. This novel contains mature subject matter, adult situations, and graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. And hello again. Wow, I can't believe it's been so long since I actually posted anything here. Guys, I am really sorry, but life basically kicked me in the nuts these past few weeks, and really my heart wasn't in it. And I want to make sure, I just didn't feel like I could give you everything that you should be getting. I mean, you're taking the time out of your day to listen to this. You deserve to be entertained, right? So before I get started here, I just want to say, I was looking at, I was looking at the show's website, outcastnovel.pacho.com. And I gotta say, I am thrilled. I am absolutely blown away, guys. I just checked the fan list. I've got 21 brand new listeners. 21! Two episodes in. And there are people already signing up for Podshow just to put me in their feed or put me in a channel. I tell you, it's, it's humbling and at the same time, just a real ego stroke. So to you, first 21, I say thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, and before I forget, before we get started here, I just want to tell you that there's a couple of new ways you can get a hold of me. Now, you already know that you can get a hold of me at outcastnovel at gmail.com, but you can also now call the claw line at 206-350-1510. That's 206-350-1510. Hey, leave me a voicemail. You never know, I just might play it at the end of one of these shows if I ever get any. But I've taken up enough of your time now, so strap in and get ready for Outcast. Chapter 3 Is it possible to fight for something, even if you know that object is either false or unattainable? Can you honestly put your heart into a task, knowing that in the end, It's nothing more than a futile gesture recognized by no one but yourself. Can one's sense of duty override common sense? Maybe that's why, when soldiers are sent into battle, it's on a need-to-know basis. Their objectives are small compared to the big picture, but it's enough to keep them going. It's enough to drive them to give their all to the task at hand and consequences be damned. All they have to worry about is their immediate objective be it taking a hill, blowing up a bunker, or rescuing a prisoner from the enemy. So long as they believe their actions are worth it, they'll sacrifice everything in the name of completing their mission. For that first week in rehabilitation, I was like a soldier. Every day my goal was the same, do better than the day before. Thoughts of home, of returning to my former life as a clansman, Even thoughts of my friends were all sent into the background of my mind. All I could think of, all I wanted to think of, was going that extra step or moving just that much more than I had the day before. By the end of that first week, I'd gone from a quadriplegic to someone capable of movement, but far too weak to really do anything productive. The implants had finally calibrated themselves to my body, but my movement was still jerky at best. 
It was as if I had to concentrate to will my limbs to move. And after a time, the implants finally responded. And when they did, it was with a burst of movement so pathetic-looking, I honestly wondered if I'd been better off as a Class II cyborg with visible prosthetics, rather than simply a Class I with internal implants. It was frustrating, but everyone around me seemed to think I was improving. The head therapist, a rather burly but alluring white tigress named Dr. Twellen, constantly commented on my progress, and was always there to pick me up when I fell, both physically and mentally. She wasn't the only one who was cheering for me, though. Day after day, I was all but swamped with visits from my family. I have to admit, it felt good to see them again, and hear about what they'd been up to while I was in a coma. As Mother had said, they'd all been worried about me. But I felt relieved to hear that, in spite of my situation, they'd all managed to get on with their lives. And while I was more than grateful at those who did come and visit me, I also noticed a couple of exceptions. In particular, my father and my youngest sister. When I asked about Jenna, mother would say Tila was taking care of her, or vice versa if Tila was visiting. I never gave it much thought at the time. I mean, it must have been insane at home, taking care of the day-to-day -day things and preparing for my homecoming. But with father, there seemed to be no real excuse. Well, not to me, anyway. Everyone said he was occupied with other things or busy with clan affairs. But if there were so many clan-related things going on, why wasn't Grandfather handling it? He was the elder, after all. Well, it didn't take long for me to stop worrying about Father's absence, or anything else clan-related for that matter. Because before I knew it, I had far more pressing things to deal with. Come on, Dallin, you can do it! That's it, just one more step, come on! Ugh. I hit the mat with the usual pronounced thump and rolled over onto my back, panting heavily. I slowly covered my muzzle with my hands and forced myself to breathe normally once again. My palms and feet were soaked with sweat, but I really didn't care at that point. I'd kept true to my daily goal and had made that little bit more progress than I had the day before. It was partway through the second week of my rehabilitation, and by then I'd regained enough of my mobility that the therapy changed from simple movement while lying down to actual walking. Needless to say, after a year's worth of inactivity, walking seemed akin to merely dragging along two logs that had been strapped to my waist. And on top of that, my arms weren't exactly at 100% either. So while I was trying to command my legs to move, I was also trying to brace myself with a pair of unstable, virtually useless arms. Still, I was determined not to give up. So despite how excruciating each day was, I told myself that at the end it would all be worth it. And after this particular ordeal, Dr. Twellen and my sister, Tila, helped me back into my hover chair, and I plopped down on it exhausted. Tila handed me a glass of something to drink, and the doctor patted me on the shoulder. Nice workout today, Dallin, she said. Keep this up and you'll be out of here in no time. I just settle for being able to use the restroom by myself, I said meekly my ears growing warm from embarrassment. Maybe it was just pride, but not even be able to feed or relieve myself only served to deepen my humiliation at all that was going on. By my age, most of my friends were active, mobile people, either learning martial arts or just moving, period. Things that once took for granted were now gone from me, and in spite of everyone's optimism and encouragement, the thought of moving around unassisted 
still seemed this lofty dream that I'd never attain. Tila took one of my hands and squeezed it with hers. You did better today than Alex said you did yesterday, she said. I managed a weak smile and tried to squeeze her hand in return. As usual, my hand reacted a full three seconds after my mind willed it to. It was humiliating and clumsy. But if she noticed, she never said anything. I can't wait till you get home, she said. And I know someone else who's waiting for you, too. My ears perked up at that statement. At first I thought she meant Jenna, but I looked in her eyes and she gave me that knowing look. The one that told me someone else had been worried about my recovery. Someone I'd hopefully soon be calling my wife. Arranged marriages aren't nearly as common in the clans as they used to be. For the first few centuries after the ascensions, many clans did start intermingling in an effort to keep the gene pools from degrading from all that internal breeding during the age of the warlords. The marriages were prearranged both as a way of sealing clan alliances and also as a way to keep the lineages as pure as possible. That is, tiger would marry tiger, panther would marry panther, and so on. Well, whatever the reason, my clan and the Winter Stalker clan had decided to enter such an arrangement. The Winter Stalker clan is one of two known Najari clans in the Kerala city area. The Najari are assassins, contract killers for hire by any in the clans provided their requests fall within the rules of doctrine. I believe the Terrans had a similar institution in their ancient days. Oh, what were they called? Oh, right, I believe they were called Ninja. I'd known Shiana Nache all my life, it seemed. As far back as I can remember, she'd been there with me. Even as we both grew and gained other friends, we always seemed to find time for each other. Of course, <laughs> it wasn't until much later that we learned of our eventual marriage. And even when we did, it didn't really change things between us that much. If anything, we were both looking forward to it. But all this time in rehab, I barely thought about her. I was so focused on getting better that our upcoming wedding was the last thing on my mind. However, now that Tila had mentioned her, the thought of seeing Shiana in her ceremonial wedding gown just all but dominated my mind. I was just about to say something when Dr. Twellen stepped up. All I could do was wince. I knew what was coming. And as much as I didn't want it to, there was no way I could stop it. Tila knew as well. With her help, my shirt came off, and I was led to a massage table. They placed me on it face down, and my muzzle slipped through the face ring at the head of it. Now, some of you might think that getting a massage from someone like Dr. Twellen would be any adolescent male's dream come true. And maybe it would be for me, too, if my body was merely suffering from a bit of tension, and not still trying to learn how to move again. You see, the implants, while busy calibrating with my muscles, were also running signals through my nervous system at close to ten times the rate of any normal nervous system. The result? Well, needless to say, every square millimeter of my body was a wee bit more sensitive than most. And what Dr. Twellen was about to subject me to made me wonder if those health clubs everyone talks about 
aren't just some kind of a torture chamber left over from the warlord's days. The moment Dr. Twellen put her hands on me, I gasped. Oh, don't be such a kitten, she said. She started in on my shoulders. Her touch was like fire, and it took several moments before my muscles stopped resisting her and submitting to her touch. I just kept my eyes shut tightly, silently counting the seconds before this ordeal would be done, and I could just go lay down. I tried to focus my mind on anything but the present, from summers at the estate's lake to the coldest winter's night. I tried anything just to keep my mind off the eternal burning sensation coursing through my body from Dr. Twellen's hands. Like with any painful situation, I tried holding my breath, and while it helped a little, it wasn't enough. I started begging her to stop, but she ignored me, assuring me I'd thank her in the end. I could feel myself beginning to shake. My fists clenched and unclenched, each of them still taking their sweet-ass time to do so after my mind willed it. This reluctance, this agonizing slowness, this robot-like existence was growing too much to bear. And this mistress of torture above me was burning me with her very touch. Why couldn't it all just stop? Stop! Stop! I roared at the top of my lungs and my arms shot forward, gripping the massage table and squeezing. I was in so much agony I never noticed my fingers actually dominating the metal tubing onto which I'd grabbed. I heard the metal creak as it was being deformed, and only then did I try to pull them away. Unfortunately, the implants hadn't received any kind of command to release my grip on the table, and in that one moment, my life took a decidedly interesting turn. I felt the table give way as my arms began pulling of their own accord. The fabric and foam top ripped easily enough, and the metal underside stretched and then yielded. The shriek of the metal tearing was deafening, and by the time I'd stopped pulling, nearly half the massage table had been ripped in half. I was staring at the floor now, held up only by my hands, which had finally obeyed my mind and released their grip. The burning sensation in my body was all but forgotten in that one moment, and in its place I felt the cold grip of fear well up inside me. What had I done? How had I done that? I could feel the panic beginning to rise, but I managed to force it back down. I didn't want to do anything that would cause any muscles to react like that again. The thought of potentially hurting someone, hurting Tila, my family, Shiana, forced my mind to keep my body still. So long as I didn't move, didn't try to move, Everyone would be safe. I heard someone enter the room, and the gasp that quickly followed. It sounded like Dr. Shack, and sure enough, the moment he stepped close enough that I could scent him, I recognized him. Well, he said, can't say I've ever seen anyone so desperate to avoid a massage that they try to go through the table. What happened? I asked. How did I do that? I don't know, yet, the doctor said. We'll run some tests and find out, Dallin, I promise. Now just stay calm. Your sister and Dr. Twellen are going to help you back into your chair, all right? I nodded and only winced a little when I felt the hands begin to lift me from the room table and back into the hover chair. I looked over at the table as I was being pushed out of the room, and for a moment I began to wonder. If I could do that to a table, then what could I do to those four Paklas who attacked me all that time ago? Well, said Dr. Shack, 
Seems there's been an unforeseen side effect of the implants. What's that? asked Mother. After the incident, she and Richard both came to the hospital to keep Tila company while I underwent those tests. You see, on a human, Shek said, the implants are designed to mimic muscle tissue. Normally the patients notice a slight increase in strength, but it's rather negligible. But, given the difference in Bengalan gravity, and our increased muscle density compared to that of a human, and that strength increase is slightly amplified. Slightly? I said. Doctor, I tore that table in half, and I couldn't control myself when I did. I could feel my anger rising. What have you done to me? Dr. Sheck sat back and sighed. I told you this was a new treatment, Dallin. We're all in new territory here, and like with any kind of treatment, there's always some, well, anomalies. Anomalies? Is that what this is? I raised my hand, typically a full three seconds after wanting to. You call this an anomaly? The doctor fell silent. I let my arm drop back down. I started mentally kicking myself for speaking the way I did. I mean, he'd spared me from a life with prosthetics. And it had only been a couple of weeks since those implants had activated. I knew I was being impatient, but who wouldn't be? But more than that, I was terrified completely terrified of not being the same tiger I used to be. I mean, was that so much to ask for? To have my life back the way it was? I'm sorry, I said. I had no right to yell. I guess I just don't know what to do. I'm not sure either, Dallin, he said finally. But if you're willing to trust me, I promise you I'll do all I can to make sure you get better. You will walk again. That much I promise. The look in his eyes said it all. He believed with all his heart that he could do it. And all I had to do was give him a chance. To trust him with my life. I looked at Mother, Richard, and Tila. And they all nodded in agreement. That's when I looked back at the doctor. All right. What do you need me to do? The additional surgery went off without a hitch. Dr. Sheck concluded that my heart and lungs needed some augmentation to compensate for my increased strength. Under strenuous conditions, my circulatory and respiratory systems would need to work on par with my augmented muscles so I didn't give myself a heart attack or hyperventilate every time I pushed myself to the limit. Unlike the implant surgery he'd done a year ago, Dr. Sheck was an old pro at this other particular procedure. Repairing hearts and lungs were almost commonplace in this age of interstellar vices decadent foods from distant worlds, exotic tobaccos and other such narcotic inhalants played havoc on Bengalan bodies. And preventing people from paying the ultimate penance had fast become the norm for the Bengalan medical community. It only took a day for me to recover from the surgery, but the end result wasn't much different than before. I could still barely walk or move my arms, and when I did it was with the same jerky motion that it had always been. The doctors had said that with the added augments in me, my endurance would increase fivefold. Well, that's all well and good, if you can actually move around. By the end of the week I was exhausted, and as usual, completely discouraged. It felt as though I'd done nothing to improve my condition, save prove over and over again that my body was never going to heal. My nerves still burned, and while Dr. Twellen still insisted on the massages, she knew when to back off. 
I guess she didn't want any more massage table turned into scrap. That night, no one from my family stayed around. I didn't really mind that much. I mean, hey, they all had their lives too. And since I was out of any immediate danger, they didn't have to worry about me that much. That, I really didn't feel much like talking to anyone. I settled back in the bed and closed my eyes. I'd never felt lower than I had right then and there. I tried to clench my hand into a fist. I wasn't surprised when my body reacted only after several moments. I began to wonder if that was possibly the key to being able to move now, to try and adapt a new rhythm in my head. I couldn't help but chuckle dryly at this. If that were the case, the martial arts training would surely be out for me. When survival depends on the body and mind working in perfect harmony together, any delay between mental order and physical response could spell disaster. Still, I continued to clench and unclench my fist, counting with dread each second between command and compliance. It felt so surreal, watching my hand move seemingly of its own accord. I'd heard stories in classes about primitive limbs and how people had to use their stomach muscles to get them to move. It was barbaric, sure, but with enough training, one could eventually master it and make this new limb into an asset rather than just a liability. One, two, three, clench. One, two, three, unclench. One, two, three, clench. One, two, three, unclench. It seemed simple enough, though it was still as uncomfortable as hell. I wondered if this was one more of Dr. Sheck's anomalies that he hadn't foreseen. Because I really couldn't imagine any human being able to function like this, always having to wait while his or her body processed each mental command with all the efficiency of a government institution. After a few more minutes of this, I finally just let them relax and breathed out. I was dead tired. I didn't want to think about anything more that night. I just wanted to get some sleep and try to have at least some energy for the next day's ordeal. And it didn't take long before I was fast asleep. Not dreaming of much in particular. And that's when I noticed him. I don't know how long I'd been asleep. I didn't know how long he'd been there. But my whiskers tingled madly in his presence. I opened my eyes to find the room had been plunged into complete darkness. And at first I wondered if I'd gone blind, but even in the darkness I could make out the ghostly white of the sheets that covered my body. I turned my head from side to side, trying to figure out where this new presence was, but I saw nothing. I breathed in a little deeper, trying to scent this intruder, and from that interpret his or her intentions. I felt relieved at the lack of aggression in both the scent and in the electricity in the air. This intruder had strength, yes, but instead of aggression... This presence regarded me with bemused curiosity, as though I were some freak on display. The scent was unfamiliar to me as well, though I could sense this person was a tiger, far older than me, perhaps even older than Grandfather. It wasn't masked either, no artificial scents or perfumes covered up his musk, so whoever he was, he was no clansman. Who are you? I asked. I was trying to sound brave again, but <laughs> I knew I was failing miserably. The intruder didn't answer at first. I could feel the panic again. Even though I'd torn a table apart just recently, that damned three-second delay would do me no good if this pocket was here to finish me off. 
For all I knew, he was one of the thieves who left me for dead a year ago, mere meters from the main road. You pound on the door with your right hand, a voice finally said. It sounded so hollow, so dead inside. Yet, inside that seemingly ancient voice I found a sense of... comfort. Yet you hold the key in your left. What do you mean? I asked. You know the answer to your own riddle, said the voice. Yet you deny yourself that which you need to see it. And what do I need? My whiskers flattened against my muzzle as I felt the intruder's presence press closer. I still couldn't see him. I could only sense him leaning in closer to me. He uttered only one word in response, but it was all he needed to say. Time. And then he was gone. I thought about what he said. Time? What did time have to do with me? Sure, Dr. Shack said that the implants would need more time to adjust, but even he was growing more skeptical each day. One, two, three, clench. I closed my eyes again, but I didn't fall asleep. My head was still reeling from the visit. The intruder, for all his mystery, was trying to help. But why did he have to be so damn cryptic? What door was he talking about? What key? It didn't make sense. One, two, three, unclench. This delay was growing more and more frustrating again. I growled weakly at it. I wanted to shout at the top of my lungs, forcing by mere conscious will for my body to obey me as it had once before. Yet for all my mental screaming and all the frustration, he just simply felt though I was yelling at... at... a door? My eyes shot open. The revelation hit me like one of Father's gut shots during sparring practice. The door. The pounding. It was my mind relentlessly trying to bully the implants into working for me. But what was this key, this, this other option? How did the answer to this lie within me? I started thinking of quieter times at home. Times when either we would gather for worship, or we would sit quietly in the war hall during our training sessions. Father had always told me that the body could grow strong and fast through physical training, but unless the mind was in tune with it, all the speed and power in the galaxy couldn't save you from defeat. Mind over body. Body mass, of course. Meditation. It was the only answer that made sense. In a meditative state, the mind becomes keenly aware of the body. Holistic healers and other such philosophical therapists often speak of these healing powers. Mentally isolating a trouble spot on the body and then working on it was what they claimed to be the miracle of self-regeneration. I wasn't sure if it was going to help, but it seemed a far better option at the time than just going to sleep frustrated. I let my breathing slow, and my eyes fell shut. Starting from my toes, I willed the calming wave to creep over me, to cover me like a soft, warm blanket against the cold. My nerves seemed to grow less irritated, as inch by inch I persuaded my body to relax. It took several minutes, but eventually I reached that state where everything and nothing was open to me. I felt as though I could taste every particle in the air, 
or feel every electron as it bounced off my whiskers. I could almost hear my blood swooshing through my veins as my heart relentlessly pumped it along. It was fascinating and terrifying at the same time as I felt the machine that was Dallin Calamar open itself up to me. My right hand would be first. I tried to sense where the implant was and what it was doing. Impulses flowed to the implant slowly now, trying to work its way through to the other side. At first, the implant resisted, still not fully comprehending what I wanted it to do and when. It dismissed my first few attempts, but through persistent, gentle persuasion, I could feel it beginning to relent, to learn, to understand. One, two, three, unclench. I didn't let the delay bother me. This was new. This would take some time, but I knew deep down that it would work. I knew that this was the key to opening the door. My mind had to adapt to the implants just as much as the implants had to adapt to my mind. And now, working together, I knew that soon I would be the tiger I used to be. My soldier's goal would finally be finished. And it would be finished just in time to fully realize how futile it all was. You've been listening to Outcast, a podcast novel written and read by Chris Fitzman. Thank you for listening. For more information on the story, please visit the story's website at outcastnovel.podshow.com. To get in touch with me, feel free to send an email or soundbite to outcastnovel at gmail.com or call the claw line at 206-350-1510. Theme music is the song Electric Blue by Droom and is available at the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. <laughs>